3: With compelling interviews, cutting-edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the Business Locker Room.
0: Now, here is your host, Kelly Riggs. Hey, and welcome to the Business Locker Room, Biz Locker Radio, presented by Business Locker Room operating at the intersection of sports and business. Hey, everybody. Great to have you on board. It is the online show with compelling conversations and useful content. Guarantee you, you can use today, especially with the two guys I've got on tap in this show. If you're looking to improve your business performance, whether you own a business, sell a product, manage a team, lead a company, this is definitely the show for you. Experts in sales and marketing and social media and business strategy and leadership, all of that and much, much more. It is Biz Locker Radio. I'm your host, Kelly Riggs. Thanks for being a part today. You can find me at Kelly Riggs on Twitter. And of course, ask you to check out past shows at bizlockerradio.com. And hey, do what I do go online, go to iTunes, download the podcast, listen to it on your daily commute. This is show number 53. It is creating high performance sales teams with a couple of fantastic guests. And by the way, we continue our habit of giving away a great new business book. If you're following me on Periscope and you're on the show, you can see the stack of books behind me. Great authors on this show. We give away their books for free. Here's all you have to do. Pull out your phone and text the word bizlucker to 33444, and we'll put you in the running for one of the great new business books that we have at our disposal. We're going to talk about a new business book today, by the way. I'm excited to do that. Later in the show, as always, Miles Austin will join me for the X's and O's segment. Today, we're going to talk about a tool I know you've heard of, maybe you're not getting the most of, and that is SurveyMonkey. We're going to talk about how you can use that in your business no matter what you do. Well, we are in the middle of a four part series on BizLocker Radio, talking sales, strictly sales, nothing but sales. This is week three of the four part series. And I welcome in a couple of real serious sales superstars, Jim Keenan and Mike Weinberg. Keenan is CEO and president, and he calls himself the chief antagonizer of a company called A Sales Guy, Inc. And you can find him at asalesguy.com. He's been selling something to someone for his entire life in 20-plus years. He's learned a lot, and the guy knows how to build killer, highly productive sales teams, and he knows how to hire them, too. We'll talk more about that. Mike Weinberg, yeah, he wrote a fantastic Amazon number one bestseller called New Sales Simplified, the essential handbook for prospecting and new business development. This is a guy who's been around a block a time or two, and he's got a brand new book coming out. Hey, guys, it's great to have you on board. We're going to dissect creating high-performance sales teams. Keenan, great to have you, man. Thanks, my man. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. Oh, uh, you bet. Mike, great to have you on board, pal. Thanks. What
3: a treat, Kelly. Glad to be with both you and Jim.
0: Well, hey, let's get started with you, Mike, because uh, the first thing that comes to mind when we start talking high-performance sales teams is what exactly does that mean? So when we throw that word out there, we throw that concept out there, what's your definition? What's a high-performance sales team look like?
3: Yeah, I mean, I th- I th- let's start with the fact that sales is all about results, period. So if we're going to talk about high-performance teams, we're going to talk about a team that consistently delivers. Uh, it's got a culture of winning, it's competitive. It's goals and results focused. Uh, it's fun. It's energized. It's got a proactive leader. I mean, a high-performance sales team, it's, it's just like the words say, high performance about results. It, it keeps and attracts top talent and, and repels or changes those that are, that are not producing. High-performance
0: well, let me follow up, Mike, because most sales teams may have a guy or two on the team, and by guy, I'm, I'm in the middle part of the country. We use guy as non-gender related. It's just an individual. But you typically have one or two people on the sales team uh, that are doing pretty well. I think you're talking about more than that. You're talking about broad-based performance, are you not?
3: Oh, yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the culture, the leadership, and the culture of the organization. Is it results-focused? Is it about performance? Absolutely.
0: Kenan, I know you're all over the country and you work with sales teams in a variety of industries. How often do you find, quote-unquote, high-performance sales teams?
2: That's kind of, in a lot of ways, the unicorn, right? Because you can always get better. Um, right. the, answer is, the answer is I never find the quintessential high-performing sales team. I find those who have built a system or a structure that uh, continually drives them to getting closer and closer to the unicorn. Uh, the majority of most sales teams are average at best. Why is that? Well, because it's people and it's dynamic, right? I mean, uh, you know, it, it all comes down to how you define high performance sales team. but unfortunately, people change, products change, markets change. And so the idea that says, um, you know, that, that we're going to have that high performance team, we win every time over and over, unless you just have super low goals or you're in an industry that's growing like gangbusters it's it's just too dynamic i mean look at the patriots they're a super dynasty but you know they still lose they don't get to the playoffs they don't win the super bowl so it's less about the end goal and it's more about building a system and an approach that allows you to constantly be striving to
0: have a high performance team even when you're not Hey, you're listening to Biz Locker Radio. Jim Keenan is my guest, along with Mike Weinberg. I love, Jim, the fact that you use the Patriots as an example here in the business locker room. We're all about the sports examples. Uh, you know, it it really puts a great emphasis on the coach and the general manager. I mean, it, it's tough to have great players if you don't have great coaching and great leadership, yes? Absolutely. Absolutely. At
2: the end, you need great people. You need great people in the right roles with the right responsibilities. So, yes, it starts with the, the leadership and the in the self-management, because they're the ones who pick the people and they have to motivate the people, so they got to be good themselves. They got to know what it's about. They got to know where they're trying to go, the structure and systems they want to put in place to make sure they get there. So, absolutely without a doubt, it, it comes down to them. Mike, well, let the let imp- let, yeah, let go let ahead. Pick
3: up on Jim. Let me pick up on something Jim saying, Because first of all, I give him credit because it took him three minutes to get to the Patriots today, which oh, is longer, well. <laughs> longer than normal. But you know what? But going down the going down that line, I'm totally with with Jim on the topic, what I I see the lack of of high-performance sales teams today is because most sales leaders are overwhelmed. You know, I think the sales manager, the frontline sales leader is the key leverage point for driving sales growth. But if you look at how most of these guys spend their time, you look at the fact that their companies are just burying them in tons of crap. They are stretched. They're overwhelmed. They spend very little time in leadership and revenue-driving activity, and it's taken a toll. It's taken a serious toll on, on sales management effectiveness.
0: Yeah, no question about that, Mike. And, you know, j- just the topic alone, creating high-performance sales teams, implies that that it's something that can be done. It can be replicated. It can be consistently uh, done from industry to industry, Uh, And if that is the case, why why don't more people strive to that that specific performance level? Why isn't high performance uh, the end goal for everyone? I mean, I I know metaphorically everybody wants to be great, yada, 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 but it, it doesn't happen very often. Why isn't that more the standard than just average? It's too hard. Number one, it's too hard.
2: And the demand of, if you're talking public companies, the demand of quarterly reports, the demand for growth. I'm going to just freak everybody else out with what I'm about to say. But the demand for growth is killing us. Because I, I sit with more teams and they're like, yeah, we got to go 20% this year. we got to go 15% this year. we got to go, you know, 27%. I'm like, well, where the hell did you get that number? Like, Where's it going to come from? And who decided it? So it's like, what products? And all of a sudden, they start breaking it down for them. And they just pick that number out of the freaking sky. They have no mm. clue. So what happens? You get some guy or some girl who now is responsible for that at their level running around like a chicken, cutting, but chi- like a chicken with his head cut off trying to figure out how in the hell am I supposed to get 25% growth when our industry is only going 3%, when I'm down a
0: person, when I'm not getting the support, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's why. Well, to your point, Mike, that's why they're overwhelmed too, right? They're, they spend as much time on the bureaucracy and the administrative side as they do actually finding talent and developing talent. Oh, worse.
3: More time. If you, if you were to log the, the way most sales managers or sales vice presidents spend their time, it's, it's horrifying. I mean, between the corporate nonsense, the death by meeting, the conference calls, I mean, the new game, and, you know, Keenan brought up public companies, you know. I've got a public company client that readily admit they spend more time internally getting ready for their quarterly business reviews for their executives and presentations. They make up the chain to sales management than they spend time preparing for presentations to clients and prospects. I mean, corporate nonsense is unbelievable.
2: (laughs) Go ahead, Jim. Go. No, I'm I'm, I'm giving you amen. Holly, you're spot on.
3: I'm with you. You know, so you combine the corporate nonsense and then we've got sales managers that I don't think know what good looks like. You know, they've, they've, the, the world messed them up. Uh, they, they think their job is to take off uh, their, their battle chief helmet instead of leading their troops into battle, and they take off that helmet and they put on the fire chief helmet, and they play firefighter in chief. They're trying to, especially in smaller companies, startups, tech companies, where the sales manager is like the shell answer man. They're at the crossroads of every communication. They want to put their fingerprints on everything because they're playing hero. It's brutal. And you you take the corporate nonsense, the firefighter thing, and I'll throw this one in there just to get a rise out of Jim. How about the whole CRM jockey thing? I mean, I've got sales managers I'm working with that are more concerned that their people update tasks in the CRM than they are whether they make quota. I mean, they they become OCD about their CRM, and they become desk jockeys who think they can lead their team by email. And you put those things together – and it, it gives you the state of what we have today in sales leadership and sales management.
0: Yeah, so I throw in. Um, oh, sorry. Go. go ahead, Jim. Well, I was going to say, I throw in my two cents. You know, the, the challenge is, is that the problems I hear you guys describing are all systemic and structural, and yet we're trying to fix these problems with Band-Aids. Clearly, that, that's a bad plan from the get-go, and we're just doing the whole idea of insanity, doing the same thing over and over. Maybe this year we'll get it right. And that, clearly, we're going nowhere with that, Jim. No, we're not. And, and I like to deduce like things to the lowest common
2: denominator. And I believe the lowest common denominator in most of these situations is fear. Everybody's freaking afraid they're not going to make the number. They're afraid they going look bad in front of their boss. They're afraid they're going to miss the big deal. They're afraid of Wall Street. They're afraid. Of, they're afraid. Everybody's afraid. So it puts us in play not to win. It takes us out of the play to win scenario and puts us in play not to lose scenario. I'm going to spend all the time I can by quarterly report going up so I look good. I'm afraid I'll look bad, right? I'm going to make sure everything's in the CRM so that I don't look bad. And when you start playing in fear or fear drives everything, forget it, it's
3: done. Kelly, I'll I'll give you my four-letter word that boils it down to my lowest common denominator that aligns a little bit with Jim's. He's got fear. Mine's time. T-I-M-E. And you only have so much of it. And In the name of being lean or whatever it is, I, I see companies asking sales management to do five different jobs, And it's not right. I mean, you can't keep throwing work on someone's plate and burying them in crap and thinking they're going to produce. They don't spend enough time on high-value activities. They don't work in the field with their people. They don't mentor them. They don't run good sales team meetings. They don't meet one-on-one. But they got a whole pile of work to do 80 hours a week of work. But it's not working. It's not on topics that are going to move the needle for revenue. That's why we don't have high-performing teams.
0: No doubt about it. This is BizLocker Radio. You're listening to two of the world's best in the world of sales. Great to have you on board. Find us at BizLockerRadio.com. Well, guys, I think we know the answers. At least I think we have a pretty good understanding of the structural deficiencies that exist. My question, Jim, is how often do you find someone who can recognize it and has the courage then to step in and start trying to do something a little bit differently?
2: You know, I I don't find people very often who recognize it. What I do find is people who say, I got a problem and I need help. Maybe this is the nature of my business, right? I mean, ask a, ask a priest how many people in the world, you know, come in and, uh, you know, express their sin. we a the priest, so almost everybody he meets, right? <laughs> he doesn't see the people who don't. So right. it's, it's business of input. Uh, it's less than recognizing it, more saying, hey, I got a problem and I need help. What's the problem? And then when I come in or, or other people that are working with them come in and point it out, the light bulbs go off. And then they and I would say a good portion of the time is to to sell that to other folks. Hey, here's a problem. And so it works
0: like that normally.
3: How about you, Mike? I'll, I'll share a little story with you guys. I mean, I learned this the hard way. I came into consulting as a sales technician, and I thought because I knew how to sell, if I coached up all the people on all my client sales teams, I could fix their, their sales organizations. And I learned the hard way. It took a couple of years, honestly, that you don't, you don't transform organizations from the bottom, that if you don't address the leadership and the culture, you're not fixing anything long-term. I may coach up a bunch of individuals, but that's what compelled me to dive into sales management and write, and write this next book because the truth is, and Jim, you see this in your business every day just like I do and just like Kelly does. We get called into companies that have sales problems, and they want us to help fix their sales team. But the truth is when you pull back the covers and you spend a couple weeks with them and you start looking at what's going on, very often that sales problem isn't a sales problem. It's a role definition problem. It's a culture problem. It's an anti-sales environment. It's a leader that doesn't understand what's going on sales-wise, or there's lack of clarity. And there's all these things that, that point back to the people that hired us, not to the sales team. And, that, I mean, yeah. if, honestly, that's why they, it's not just what Jim's saying. It's not they don't admit it. I don't even think they realize that the problem is often in the mirror for the senior executive or the sales leader, not necessarily in the sales force.
0: That's not always a, it's not always a message it goes over very well, Mike, as well. They call you in to help or they call Keenan in to help, and the first thing you're gonna point out is, Hey, you've got leadership issues, Jim. That's that's probably not the best message, is it?
2: No, well, look, if some, depending on who it's usually not a good message when let's say the CRO or the or the CD vice president sales is given the authority to call you in, but the problem's with the the person above them. But if it's the person who called you in they're the ones who are the problem. The fact they called you in is halfway there. They know something's wrong and they're open to exploring it. So it's not as bad. It's really bad when the person who brought you in see the problem, but the problem is above them or to their left, and those people don't see it. That's when it's hard.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Well, let me ask you guys a question before we take our first break. We've got a couple of minutes before our first time out. Mike, I'll run over to you for a minute. It, it, it seems, I mean, I, I've been doing this a very long time, and when I started in selling, I remember my first sales job, my boss wouldn't let me out the door until I had completely mastered the product and the sales presentation, knew what questions were typically going to be asked. In other words, there was a lot of selling skills training going on. My experience is is that has diminished greatly. Do you you see the same thing in your work? And if so, why do you think that is? Wow. Uh, You just pushed a
3: hot button, and I think you were kind (laughs) when you say diminished. I don't know what's happened. And I don't know why we think that people are going to sell automatically or by osmosis today, but when I was a young pup, I was mentored how to sell on all kinds of things from, you know, how to pack your bag to shine your shoes to how you conduct a sales call. Sure. I, don't see any, I almost see no mentoring today. I see lots of people playing with management. I don't see anybody taking a young guy under his or her wing and showing him how to sell. So I think you're kind when you say that sales training and mentoring is diminished.
0: Uh, it's, it's interesting. How, what, what about you, Jim?
2: You know, I, I don't see it as grossly as inefficient as or non-existent as Mike. I do see that. but What I see more of is I'm not sure the training today maps to what's necessary. The Interesting. Changed, and I think we're still pulling the same old uh, sales tricks out of the
0: bag, and they just don't work it. Well, the big challenge from my perspective for both of you as we go to break is it seems like we always take our best salesperson, make him or her a manager. And we get two things when we do that. We lose a great salesperson. We tend to get a very mediocre manager, particularly when you got the kind of sales training that I got, Mike. My sales training or my sales management training rather went something like this. Good luck. <laughs>
3: that's normal yeah
0: it's, it's pretty common out there well hey we're talking with two of the real spectacular sales on the planet guys that own their own firms and coach and train sales people for a living one is jim keenan you can find him at asalesguy.com follow him on twitter at keenan and then mike weinberg at under uh, at mike underscore weinberg his website is new sales coach we come back after the break Mike is going to tell us about a brand new book that he is going to release. I'm really excited about it, and it's going to address this particular topic. But I'm talking with Jim Keenan and Mike Weinberg. I'm Kelly Riggs. This is Biz Locker Radio. We'll be back on the other side of the break.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com.
0: Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to zero? To $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years. Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the Chief Revenue Officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now, in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today.
1: From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network.
0: This is Dan Walshman, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly
3: Riggs.
0: Yeah, my buddy Dan Walshman bringing us back out of the break. Hey, thanks for joining us. It's Biz Locker Radio. I'm Kelly Riggs. Find us at bizlockerradio.com. By the way, next week, uh, number four, the fourth uh, installment of this series, Jack Malcolm and Jeff Shore will join me. It'll be another fantastic conversation about selling. You want to mark that on the calendar and make sure you get it. Hey, again, do like I do. You cannot digest all of this in one setting. Best to do is to go to iTunes, download the podcast. Listen to it in the car, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna get so much good stuff. And we're gonna jump off into some very practical ideas with our guest today, Jim Keenan and Mike Weinberg. And again, we're talking creating high performance salespeople. You know, one of the questions that comes up pretty often, Jim, is as a sales manager, how do I split my time between low performers and high performers? What one. one line of thought says, my low performers, I need to get them at least to some level of acceptability. Another line of thought is, hey, I'm going to get a much greater return on my invested time with my high performers. And typically, my experience is we probably don't deal with our low performers as well as we should. Where do you, where do you come down on that, Jim? You know, I don't believe in, in treating them any
2: differently. Uh, I have, what I do is I do two things, and I coach and work with my clients in two ways. First one is you have to have a coaching cadence in place. So if you have a coaching in place, Coaching cadence in place that sets up a time that you meet with your your sales team, your direct reports. At the same time, I recommend every six weeks, every six weeks for at least an hour, and you meet with them on developing their skills. And then at the end of it, you write them a note that says what you went through, what you recommended, what you saw. It's, it's just coaching. It's not performance review. It's coaching. So that by doing that. You're constantly coaching it in the system, and they know what's coming every six weeks, right? Yes. And in from that, I believe what I call the freedom box, and I've written about this on Forbes. What I, what when, when what I say to people is, look, you give your people as much freedom as they want. You tell them what the goal is, and say, barring breaking rules or doing something inappropriate, the world is your oyster. As they cannot or as they start to flail, if they're not making their number or they're missing their goal, you shrink the freedom box. You take away their choices to make decisions. And if it gets too small, then you put them on a plan and you, and you boot them. But all the freedom in the world and a constant, constant coaching cadence and everybody's treated equal and you carry out things faster.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how that has sort of made it across generations because I'm older than you are, Jim. And I I know that uh, as a sales manager, I had one of my guys ask me one time, hey, do you mind if I play golf during the week? And I said, look, I don't care what you do during the week as long as it's legal, ethical and moral if it's helping push your numbers forward. You make your number, I don't care how you get there as long as it's supporting the company's values. But if you don't make your number, then you definitely have to answer to me, right? That's kind of what you have in mind. Yes.
2: Yes, but I also have it in mind when it comes to how you go get your number, right? Some people say, i got to make a bunch of cold calls at 8 o'clock in the morning. or the company makes everybody do this, 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 they prescribe how they should attack their number. I don't believe in that. I believe in diversity of thought. A good guy on the phone might be a better guy, might be a better girl on email, might be a better person in person, might be better at social selling. So I'm not going to tell you how to go get your number. I want that diversity of thought,
0: but you better be yeah. Yeah, it makes Amen. good sense. Mike, I know you're a big fan of one-on-one coaching as well. Tell me a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, I mean, boy, Keenan's dropping some pearls of wisdom here. I love the way he's talking about that. And I totally agree that we want people to be individuals and we don't want a bunch of robots. And that, that phrase, I'm going to steal, Jim, coaching cadence, because I'm talking all the time about, about one-on-one meetings. And what I'm finding is managers are not spending one-on-one time, particularly formal one-on-one time, where they're not just coaching, but they're talking about results and pipeline in a one-on-one setting. You know, they're doing it by email. and They may even do it in an awkward way in a team meeting where they're embarrassing somebody. But I really think the best, the best place for accountability and results, results focus is in a formal schedule, one-on-one meeting where every month that salesperson knows for 20 minutes they're going to face the music. You're going to look at their results, And if you love what you're seeing, you're going to say, get out of here, go do it again. But if the results aren't there, then we're going to dive into the pipeline. And if you see a a chock-full, healthy pipeline with deal flow and it's balanced and new deals are getting added and deals are moving forward, I'm not going to dive in on activity. I'm, I'm happy. If the pipeline's healthy, I'm good. But if the results aren't there and the pipeline is weak, the manager has nowhere else to go but dive into activity and the calendar. And I I tell salespeople all the time that get defensive about that. I'm like, listen, that's not micromanagement. If we start with results and then we go to the pipeline and then we end up with activity, that's not micromanagement. That's just management. If you want us to get off your back about activity, bring in the results and fill up your pipeline, I'll never ask you about activity. But I'm telling you, that one thing, that one practice, that coaching cadence, as Jim calls it, of a regular formal meeting, one-on-one, sales manager to salesperson, I've seen that behavior alone transform sales culture from one that wasn't focused on results at all to one where everybody got
2: it, that we are all about results.
0: You know, as crazy as it, yeah, go ahead, Jim. Yeah, let
2: me, let me add to that real quick. There's another element to this that I, that I really push on my clients. And it's, and it's just a slight extension of what Mike just said. Even if somebody is at their number and their pipeline looks awesome, I still encourage them to have a coaching conversation. So, example, you could have, this is one example, you could have that killer all-star sales girl who just has a habit to rub everybody the wrong way or has a tendency to be too pushy or has a tendency to not, to not get along with product or whatever the case may be. And so part of the coaching, is, this is not a performance review. I cannot emphasize that enough. It's not about performance in, in the coaching cadences that I help people build. It is literally about coaching. Just like Tom Brady. Gunnigan out a history of one of the top three quarterbacks of all time, but guess what? He still has weaknesses. I want to point those out. I want to talk about them. I want to see what he's learned. I want to see where we can develop them. Same thing with your all-star salesperson. Everything's great, but guess what, Jennifer? You're still struggling with engaging with products. Let's talk about that. You're still writing emails that are freaking novels that waste people's time. Let's talk about that. <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> so, it You know what? I go.
0: No, it's it's as crazy as this sounds. I'm sitting here listening to you guys. I just get a kick out of this. As crazy as it sounds, there are actually salespeople. You know, especially the YouTube guys, Mr. Performance Results and his and his brother-in-law. You, you you there are still people out there that say, "I don't like my, uh, you know, my sales results posted for everybody to see because it embarrasses me." And somehow that makes it up to somebody above the sales manager, and they say, "You know, look, we don't want to, we don't want to put people off, and we don't want to treat them unfairly and all that Is Is that craziness, or, or is that just me being old that's stupid okay that's
2: thank
0: you stupid hey I'm, you. With, hey I'm with I you guys like
2: getting, i don't like getting hit when i play football okay uh, let's stop hitting <laughs> you don't change the game you can change the practice you don't change the
0: game oh i, yeah. I, don't, I <laughs> love that
3: i don't know when i don't know when it became politically incorrect to post results but I'm not talking about embarrassing or berating people. You're just putting up the numbers on the wall. And I think the wider you distribute them, the better. We all need to understand that the people in sales, here's the reality, guys, and this is why we have to be so tough on salespeople, but also clear the decks and let them do their primary job. Every single other employee in the company is dependent on the sales team doing their primary job and doing it well. Everyone else's livelihood depends on the sales team succeeding. So you wouldn't let – and I just wrote about this recently – you wouldn't let uh, your accountant perform month after month after month if they were closing the books inaccurately and putting out false financial statements, right? And if you had a guy packing boxes in the warehouse and he kept misshipping them to the wrong customer, after a few months of that, you'd be like, you know what, I don't think you should pack boxes anymore. But somehow it's okay in sales for a guy who perennially fails that we look the other way and we don't want to
0: talk about their results.
3: Well, that's, that's not a way to create a high-performance team. Frankly, It's dangerous.
0: No, it's not. Well, you work your way back up to what you guys started with, both of you. One of you said fear and one of you said time, and clearly both of those things come into play. Let's shift gears a little bit. Jim, let's talk compensation. Compensation clearly to me is a big part of what it takes to create a high-performance sales team. What are your thoughts on compensation? Where is it today? Where where does it need to change? What are some of the common mistakes that we see sales managers or, or managers making?
2: You know, I think compensation, a lot of people argue with me, I think compensation is, is overblown, not from a motivation standpoint, a level of importance, but from a complication standpoint. I think we overcomplicate it. To me, compensation should be really simple. Does my compensation align with the goals and objectives I'm assigned to this role? It's really that simple. Does yep. it align? And, of course, is it profitable? I mean, that's, that's you know, the total difference. But yes, it's so simply align? Does this align with what I want to accomplish? If the answer is yes, then great. It's going to be part of a high-performing sales team. If it doesn't, it won't be. You're going to go left and you want to go right.
0: I had the business card rule, Jim. My, my, my philosophy was simple. Yes, if you couldn't write your compensation package on the back of a business card and make it legible, it was too complicated. Amen. Here, here Amen. Right, back to your
2: point. You triggered a great point, Simon, but you triggered a great point. I work with more organizations who fear drives the compensation package. They're so, it gets so complicated. Like, well, what if the person tries to do this? And what if they try to do that? And what if they do this? And next thing you know, they've got this six-layer compensation package with all of these basically, if by fear, exceptions to try to keep it from being, um, taken advantage of That it. it's, it's, it's useless. It's a piece of crap.
3: Yeah, okay. I agree. Uh, Kelly, I just got two thoughts on compensation. I think Jim nailed it. Um, I I have two overarching theories that drive me nuts in in comp. One is I see a lot of comp plans that are too flat, and there's just not enough delta between what the top people and the bottom people are earning. And that, that produces the opposite effect of what we want a comp plan to do. I want my top producers overpaid, not even thinking about leaving, feeling appreciated, and I want my underperformers to be uncomfortable, to be thinking about changing their behavior or deselecting themselves. And I get very uncomfortable when there's not a, a nice delta between the top and bottom performers. So flat plans mess me up. And then the other thing that messes me up is when every dollar is treated the same. And in a lot of my clients, they manage some existing, you know, salespeople manage an existing book or, uh, or territory or whatever. And it's like they're on a commission annuity for a business that was sold nine years ago. And I know that's probably not as much a problem with some of Jim's high-tech clients where where, we're selling new deals and we're dealing with lifetime value, et cetera. But it drives me crazy when when someone's on a commission plan that's really more of a free annuity. And a dollar is a dollar is a dollar. Well, I don't think a dollar is a dollar when it comes to compensation. I'd much rather more highly reward a dollar of sales to a new client or a significant cross-sell than reselling the same thing over and over again. And we, we get a lot of fat, complacent, happy sales guys running around that are not incented to hunt because there's no reward for bringing a new business and no penalty for babysitting. So those are my two big issues on comp.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really great insight on both sides. Jeb. what do you have to add to that? I have nothing. I think he nailed it. I love how he put that. Super deal. Well, Mike, you have got a brand new book coming out and I told the audience before the break we were going to talk a little bit about it. I know you're excited about it. Your first book was an Amazon bestseller, New Sales Simplified, Tell us about the new book, tell us about the title, and when can we expect it? Yeah,
3: well, first, thanks for having me on here. And I, 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 I thought it was, this would be a great opportunity, and I'm so excited to, to join you on the show to kind of share the, the title of the book. I'm, I'm doing the book, again, with uh, Amacom, the publisher for the American Management Association. They were just great to me the first time around, and my editor there is just beyond brilliant. So we, we did another book, and this one is going to be called Sales Management Simplified. And it's all about the straight truth uh, about getting exceptional results from sales teams. And it looks like we're on schedule. Uh, the book's in production right now. And it looks like we're on schedule for the October uh, release date. And I'll just say this, Kelly. You know, I'm, I'm excited, obviously. That I'm, I'm, I was shocked by the response to my first book because it really is just simple sales truth that I think needed to be shared again. And as busy as I am, I did not want to write another book. But just being as transparent as I could be, I felt like I had to because I'm running into all of these sales management issues that we're talking about today in all kinds of companies, whether they'd be giant Fortune 500 companies or my little $10 million neighborhood SaaS company, and it's sales leadership. And you can not we can coach the salespeople to death. We can give them great targets. We can sharpen their story, help them run better discovery sales calls, improve their presentations, uh, take back control of their calendars, all the stuff I preach in my first book, which I absolutely believe in, but if we don 't get the culture and the talent mix and the sales leadership piece right, we are not going to build the kind of long term sustainable high performance sales teams that so many companies want and that 's why I, I took it on to do this book, and I cannot wait to get it out there because I, I, I was blunt, I was brutal uh, I, I, uh, I, I told tales on on real people and uh, I, I, I really want exact, mostly I want to see senior executives and sales managers read this because I think it 's going to be a giant wake-up call as I hold the mirror up real close for them to take a peek.
0: Oh, there goes the nice guy image from Mike Weinberg. <laughs> <laughs> sales management simplified the straight truth about getting exceptional results from your sales team. It's from EmmaCom, and uh, congratulations, Mike, your second book. It'll be out in October 2015, and you can bet that uh, BizLocker Radio will be doing the very best that they can to support you and everything you do. Hey, before we get out of here, guys, we've got three minutes before our Final timeout. Let's let's get some tactical ideas on the table, Jim. I'm going to start with you. What I want to look at is if if you were going to help a sales team today, give me a couple of bits of wisdom. Not like you have it already, but give me a couple of real practical things that I can go address today to move my sales team forward. Uh,
2: build a coaching cadence, right? So build a coaching cadence and get you in front of all your salespeople, not for performance review, but for development. For or for sales development at least every six weeks. Secondly, um, be very, very clear in the goals you've set the team. Make sure they're real. Make sure they're attached to something substantive, not just a finger in the air to see where it came from. And then evaluate your whole team. Um, do a one-time evaluation across your whole team right out of the gate. Identify the critical success factors, what it takes to be successful in particular in your company. What does someone have to be really good at? Hard and soft skills. And then evaluate your team across that.
0: And then from there, so many things would be more crystal clear. And then from there, build a strategic plan to address them. Hey, before I jump over to Mike, let me go back to the coaching cadence. In your experience, is there one or two selling skills that tend to be consistently deficient someplace that we can really start? I know everybody's different, but is, but is there some commonality between the deficiency and skills? Yeah, I think the largest deficiency I see across salespeople in general
2: is business analysis and discovery. The average salesperson does not... Either know how to or know to begin to assess their customers' business for the applicability of their products or services. They don't understand their customers' workflows. They don't understand their customers' the concepts of their business. They don't understand their pain points. They don't understand how their customers do their job and how they're measured. So, therefore, they really don't know what they're selling and what they're selling to. So, I'd say that's the largest one.
0: Yeah, that's great stuff. Mike, how about yourself? A couple of nuggets for us. I could listen to Jim Keenan talk sales
3: all day. Absolutely. That's my my nugget. We should listen to Jim more. Yeah,
0: Yeah, there you go. That's what I would encourage sales managers to do, listen to Jim Keenan more. Okay. I'll
3: tell you what, I'm going to throw one tidbit out there just to challenge folks to think about this. If there was one thing I'd ask sales leaders to look at to create a higher performance team, aside from the things we talked about, it would be to do a deep, hard look at role definition and role clarity within the sales force. One of the biggest issues I see across all kinds of companies is this typical hybrid one guy, one gal does all sales job. And the truth is most people aren't wired that way. We've got killer hunters and we've got maintainers and we've got zookeepers and we've got product experts. And yet there seems to be this one catch-all sales job in almost all companies. What might happen to results? If we really did a better job defining the roles and we freed up those precious few sales hunters that most companies have, and instead of letting those guys sell 20% of the time, what if we tripled the amount of time that they were actually out hunting and we did a better job supporting them on the back end with onboarding and maintenance and service issues? Because there's a lot of people that can do management and service, and, and, but there's not that many people that are good at hunting. And I, I, I've seen incredible changes where management did the hard work of redefining the roles to free up those precious few hunters to hunt more. So I'll leave you with that.
0: Love that. Fanta, yeah, that's great, great advice. Hey, can't thank you guys enough. You've been listening to both Jim Keenan and Mike Weinberg talk about creating high-performance sales teams. Jim Keenan is on Twitter, at Keenan. And his website, a salesguide.com, Mike Weinberg, he of the brand new book coming out, newsalescoach.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Mike underscore Weinberg. Again, the name of that book coming out in October, published by Amacom, Sales Management Simplified, the straight truth about getting exceptional results from your sales team. Guys, can't thank you enough. Thanks for your time.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com.
0: Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to a hundred million dollars in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at amazon.com today.
1: the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network.
0: Hi, I'm John Spence, one of the top 100 business thought leaders in the world, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Uh, welcome back to Biz Locker Radio. I got to take a deep breath. I need, I need a timeout. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just going crazy with uh, Jim Keenan and Mike Weinberg in the last segment, and it was fantastic. It's going to be one of those must-listen many more times type of episodes, so make sure you find us on iTunes. Download the podcast. Listen to it on your daily commute. It's going to be worth it. Hey, by the way, let me reiterate, we're giving away free books and if you were watching me on uh, Periscope, you could have saw over my back shoulder a number of books that we've given away from some of the great authors we've had on the show. Just text the word BizLocker to 33444. It doesn't matter if you're listening live or if you're listening to the podcast. you got an entire week after the show is broadcast, and we'll tell you about a winner next time. But we turn to the X's and O's segment where we always dissect a great new tool, and that's brought to you by my good friend way up in the
4: Northwest. In Seattle, he's Miles Austin. Miles, great to have you on board, my friend. Thank you, Kelly. What a great segment. We just listened to, man. Those two guys, like you, I could listen to them all day long. Great, great conversation.
0: Was that not just uh, heavy-duty content? I mean, it was packed, loaded. Yep, yep. I've
4: you know, got... I think it, it just reminded me that people all should remember to go subscribe to the feed for this And just have these segments downloaded automatically every week because you're going to miss one or two and you're going to regret it when you hear about what the powerful conversation was.
0: Yeah, and you know what What gets lost in this a lot of times, Miles, is these are guys that get paid many, many thousands of dollars to share this kind of information with clients, and here it is, readily available, and um, you're right, there's so much value on their websites as well. Well, you're the same way, fillthefunnel.com is Miles Austin's website, and there is tremendous amount of value there as we review all kinds of tools, and Miles is always pushing the envelope, cutting edge. Today, we're going to talk about a tool that's been around a while, in fact, my first uh, response, as you know, was kind of like, really? Survey monkey But there's ov- obviously a lot of things that you can do with this tool that make a
4: lot of sense. Tell me tell me what you have in mind. Well, Kelly, look, I think the main thing with SurveyMonkey is do- don't hesitate. E- your response was very similar to six months or so ago when we talked about Skype, right? It, it, just because it's been around doesn't mean it's an extremely powerful tool. And in my business, my day-to-day activity, many times If it's not a week old or less, people aren't interested. Big mistake. Because I would tell you this. Let me just answer the question this way. Kelly, do you have any interest in learning what your customers, your prospects, and your employees are saying and thinking about you, your products, your services, and your organization?
0: Yeah, of course.
4: Absolutely. Of course you do. So it it is the ability, and obviously with the Internet and the ability to do all this and collect it in a lot of convenient ways, the understanding of what they're thinking, sometimes, as you know, you have a blog, sometimes the comments and those kind of things slow down a little bit or people don't want to share openly. But if you give them an ability, you ask specific direct questions, and and they know – in many cases that their answers are going to be anonymous. They're gonna give you great answers. I remember just when uh, uh, when Keenan was just talking and, and, and Mike about uh, uh, compensation. It's one of the ways I used to use surveys all the time when I was running a company. I wanna know what they really think. Is it fair? Is it compensating you for the right things? Are the incentives in the right place? And are you able to generate the kind of income that you think you deserve based on your production? Well, a lot of they're not gonna tell you that in an open forum, right? They're gonna tell you those things if they feel that you they have your ear and that you're gonna read the information and obviously accumulate it for good. So what kind of, how, now
0: I'm sure most people are hearing this, and if they have any awareness of online survey tools and SurveyMonkey being one of those, they're saying, hey, that sounds great. My challenge is, how do I structure some of those questions? I mean, how do I, how do I get the most response? Do you have any experience in that regard of the right kinds of questions
4: and way to structure those to get more people to respond to them? Absolutely. And you know what? That's a great point because SurveyMonkey has been doing this for a long time. They've got some great help and tutorials within their system. Let me use an example. Um, One of the things that because they've got like 12 million users of SurveyMonkey every year, one of the things that they now have as a service they didn't have five, six years ago was something they call SurveyMonkey Audience. And that is a lot of people who have taken a survey. If you've taken one recently, Kelly, you're given the option at the end when you close out the survey to say, if you're interested, would you like to, be, to take additional surveys and make a few bucks as you do it? And then if you say yes, then people will answer a few questions, what market, what industry, all that kind of thing, right? So they have a massive database of people that have taken surveys that have said, yeah, I'd like to participate. I'd be willing to share my opinion. So you can actually go to SurveyMonkey and engage that service of SurveyMonkey audience and have that big, big pool of people answer the questions that you've crafted that you really want to know, whether you're launching a new product or you're opening a new office or maybe you're just thinking, you know, do people even like what we're doing or, or – Who's a competitor that you think doing a better job than we are?
0: Does it, do you find that people oftentimes are, are wary
4: of surveys and asking people what they think because they really don't want to know? Well, you know what? It's human nature, right? We all want to hear good things. But I think it is the bold and it's those that are, that are really true leaders that say, I got to know because I don't know about you, but every business I've ever seen that sticks their head in the sand and doesn't want to hear it, isn't around for very long, right? So you really have to be able to do it. So, um, you know, I really think it helps because one of the other things they're doing is to say, okay, let's say you're in the insurance business and you get your surveys back based on customer surveys that you've done for maybe 500 or 1,000 or maybe 50. It doesn't really matter. One of the additional services that SurveyMonkey now has is the ability to go take your survey and those answers, which comes back to your previous question about What kind of things could I and should I be asking and how do I structure them? They'll give you guidance based on your industry, right? But then you can go back and they can overlay your results against others without giving names of companies and things. So it's very private. But they can give you the ability to benchmark how your company and people that answered your survey compare to an industry at large, right? So, again, very powerful. You might think you got it nailed. Right? And your survey comes back, and then you use the benchmark capability. And go, wow, we're missing it by 40, 50%. The, the interesting thing about
0: SurveyMonkey to me is that it is very, very easy to use, very user friendly. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, you can be up and moving pretty quickly, but at the same time, there's a tremendous amount of complexity that you can put into this because of the way they structure it with all different types
4: of logic. You can get pretty complex as well, Miles. Absolutely. And if you if you're into those things, I mean I, I'm one that kind of like just to ask direct questions, right? But right. if you want to get into things, the if and then and the branching and skip logic and all those kind of all those kind of terms, right? Or if you've got a data analyst or people that are really of that nature in your organization, well, for goodness sake, take advantage of it. But I'm one I like and again I go back to the compensation, I go back to your employee surveys that you want to take. I just like to ask very blunt, specific no question about it questions that they know exactly what I'm asking. And they can, in some cases, um, give me a yes or no or a percentage because you have all those different types of answers. You can ask for a scale from 1 to 10. You can ask for percentages. You can give them a big old block of of text and say, just fill it in to your heart's content. If they answer yes, then you take them to a different part of the survey. If they answer no, you take them to a new part of the survey. All of that's built in, depending upon what level and what complexity you want to put into it.
0: It really makes it easy, too, because it's all anonymous. It's all online. Uh, people can do it at their leisure. And, and many times we prefer them to do it you know, somewhere else other than the office. But they, can't, they can do it there, it's just wherever they access uh, their, their email and source. But that, that opens up a lot of possibilities. And I suspect that most of the time, uh, those surveys, we want to be anonymous to give people the opportunity to tell the truth. But I, but I assume that
4: there's times when we do want to know who's answering and why it, it's at certain occasions, too. Absolutely. And you can turn on, it's simply a switch within the survey. Let's say that you're doing a customer, maybe a new purchase survey from new customers only. And you can give them an incentive and say, look, we appreciate, and this will all be confidential. If you would like more information or if you'd like to receive an incentive or whatever it might be that you can indicate, they can just simply click a box that then says... We're now going to release your information and your answers, so we can't we can identify that it was Kelly Riggs that said yes, no, fifty percent, and twelve is his or her answers, right So mm-hmm. it, you have that as an option. Um, in fact, it's really funny, but more and more we're finding times when even if there is no incentives given, if based on the type of survey, the type of information you're looking for, if people are comfortable with the way you handle um, your company or your employees, um, there's a lot of employees that are willing to just put it out there. If they feel that there's not going to be ramifications or if you're, if you badmouth a decision that the company made, you're going to be fired. Well, obviously you got bigger problems in survey months. Yeah, exactly. your exactly. Yes. So again, I think if the environment's right, in my opinion, anyway, they're going to give you answers and they're going to put their name on it. Maybe put their phone number and their email address and say, look, if you want more, I'll give you more information if you like to. And by the way, thanks for asking because I think that's one of the things that we can never get enough of in, in business is um, we have to be willing to accept the feedback from those we serve.
0: Talk a little bit about small
4: business, Miles.
0: I mean, I, I think that your, your point is a good one, is that so many people don't know what their customers are thinking or they're just assuming that they know. This is certainly a tool that very inexpensively you can deploy uh, to your customer base and, and, and get some more information. Give me some thoughts and ideas for the audience, how, how they would use this, maybe examples of questions they might
4: ask, the kinds of information that would be valuable to the small business person. Absolutely. Let me break it down to something very, very straightforward. A local business dry cleaner in my local hometown was wondering, is there would there ever be an interest, or would there be value if we offered an additional pickup and delivery service in our little community, right? They were wondering because they'd seen it in other places, but they thought, i don't I don't want to go invest the time and money. So they started. They had a little form, a little uh, link at the front when you go pick up your laundry. And it had a little, there were little business cards printed up. And they said, we'd really be interested in your opinion. If you wouldn't mind when you get back home or from your iPhone or tablet, just give us answers to these three questions. And they did that. Um, And I'll just tell you in advance, they are now providing a pickup and delivery service. And this is a relatively small community. But what they found out was it was people don't have the time in this crazy busy schedule that we all live with to go and do that. And not only were the customers appreciative, they have dramatically more business now because here's what started to happen. Their neighbors would see this little bag out on their front porch early in the morning, and they'd have the conversation, Hey, what was that? I noticed that. Oh, yeah, we saw Michaels pull up in the front and get your – well, no kidding. So then they would call and say, hey, how do I get set up in the service? Because I'm gone all week. I fly in Friday night. I leave Monday morning, and many times I didn't get a chance To get to the dry cleaners to drop off my dry cleaning. So, I mean, it's powerful, but you never know unless you ask.
0: Yeah, it's great real time data. The great part about SurveyMonkey, from my standpoint, is for $25 per month. Now, you got to pay annual $300. You can get all of the marketplace data you could ever begin to use. This is their gold plan unlimited questions, unlimited responses. 24-7 support, all types of things added to that. I mean, this is not a lot of money to really find out a lot of good things, both internally and
4: externally. Well, you're right. And I think, Kelly, what most of my customers that are using this find is once you have it and you've done one or two of these, you'll think all sorts of reasons that you should be able to use it, again, internal, external, to. Um, marketing kind of questions to customer service kind of questions but as I said I think sometimes we always look outbound and a lot of times you you know what use these maybe once a quarter for your own team especially if you're trying to build and grow momentum just to get feedback from your own team on what, what's working and what's not.
0: Yeah and there's just a number of other things, too, before we get away. I mean, I know that you can integrate it to, into Salesforce. If you're using Salesforce as your CRM platform, uh, there's a number of other integrations that you can use. There's just a lot of flexibility in this tool that I really did not realize existed there, Miles, Really appreciate you bringing that to us.
4: Absolutely. Well, just another example. Just because it's been around for a while doesn't mean it still doesn't have value. I keep telling my grandkids that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about it. Hey, by the way, if you want to just give it a, a whirl, if you want to find out what it's all about, you can go in and get uh, the free version, which will allow you to get 10 questions, 100 responses, absolutely free, just to get a feel for how it works, and then they've got some more popular plans. Well, thanks to Miles Austin for joining us. It's the X's and O's segment. You can find him at Fill the Funnel. Dot com. Of course, as I always tell you, you want to make sure you follow him on Twitter at MilesAustin. at SurveyMonkey.com. Well, that's going to do it for another fantastic show, The Fastest 60 Minutes in Radio, I assure you. It goes by very, very fast. We had great guests today. My buddies Jim Keenan and Mike Weinberg joined us in the first two segments as we talked about creating high-performance sales teams. Next week, we'll have Jack Malcolm and Jeff Shore on as we complete our four-week series on selling. You'll want to stick around for that. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to Biz Locker Radio. Find us at bizlockerradio.com. Brought to you, as always, by the Business Locker Room. Thanks, Miles. Great to have you on board.
4: Enjoy it, Kelly.
0: All right. We'll see you next time. And that's going to do it. Thanks to Michael Sergit, our engineer, Brandy Jackson, as our producer. They make us sound a lot better than we really do. And you're listening to Biz Locker Radio on
1: Voice America.